Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we have had quite the morning so far. We pray that you would be with us. That even now, as we dig into your words, and we do something brand new, that you would be with us. That even in the newness of it all, we would hear your unchanging words. That your Holy Spirit would speak to us in a message you need us to hear this day. That this word would be a word from the Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our series on the hymns of Christmas and Advent. And what they mean for us and what we can take from them. Um, we'll continue next week. Then the 23rd, the 23rd is our ugly sweater service. You wear your ugliest Christmas sweater. And if you wear a sweater and it's not ugly, we're still going to think it's ugly. And it will be a compliment that day. So please don't be offended. But you get bonus points if they light up or they have a tail or something. Um, we will only have one service on the 23rd, and that's at 10 a.m. So if you show up at 11... You'll be just in time to see everyone leave. Um, but we have lots of special music planned, lots of kids coming in. If you or someone you know wants to do special music that day, let me know so we can get them in the bulletin. But if they walk in on the 23rd uh, with a theremin or something, we're still going to let them play. Maybe not a theremin. Not a theremin? Not a theremin. <laughs> okay. Okay. Theremin and accordion? Accordion? No, accordion's okay. Bagpipes, if they do it well. Okay. <laughs> um, but we're doing something new with this idea, and I want to talk about the actual music. What the notes are trying to teach us. What those little dots on a page and the lines that go across. What does that have to teach us about anything else going on in there? And I've just offended all of the music majors. <laughs> Sorry. I know nothing about music, and I could not possibly teach this, so I have invited Chase to come up, and we're going to kind of team preach this or co-preach it. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to him right now, and we'll see what happens. It kind of worked this morning. Yeah, it went well this morning. You have to come back for the third service and see if we get it figured out by that point. <laughs> as intelligent as BT, um, who can memorize all of that really quickly, I cannot. Uh, so it's finals week um, up at Slippery Rock, and with finals week comes a lot of stress. It comes a lot of studying, a lot of expectations, a lot of no sleep, eating McDonald's and terrible quick food. Um, but I really think that the Advent season is a lot like that. Uh, there's a lot of expectations around the Advent season. 
Um, there's a lot of people to buy gifts for. There's a lot of payments to be had. All of the normal things that happen in life that cause us stress still happen during the Advent season, just plus everything else. And so it's a really easy season to feel the weight um, and feel the stress bearing down on us. But the one place that I find reprieve is in music. And so anytime that I get in my car, I turn on my, I plug it into my phone and I turn on my music and just for a second, and follow me here, just for a second, my car transforms into the Metropolitan Opera stage. (laughs) And I'm there and there's big lights and Marianne Cornetti is singing with me. (laughs) And I'm singing Il Mio Tesoro and everyone's clapping, bravissimo, right? And until I get out and it's cold and then it all goes back to being my car. But for that moment, for just that moment, everything is wiped away. All the stress, all of the worries, all of the anxiety just melts away because music is powerful. Music is transformative. It can take us into the past where we can remember things maybe we've forgotten about or it can take us, you know, right where we are and just take us into a new feeling or to transform what we thought about the present. It can take us into the future with aspirations and hopes um, for what is to come or what we hope to see the world to be, right? Music is powerful. It's so powerful that we use it in music therapy to heal people in, with Alzheimer's patients. When they have a blockage in their brain, the brain actually stores music in all kinds parts of the memory, right? Different than other activities. And so it's stored in the motor memory, one of the last things to go with patients of Alzheimer's, right? And so they can connect to their family one last time through music. It is so powerful. It's innate within us. And the composers of hymns knew that. There's three things that I think um, that they knew. The first thing is they knew how powerful music was. There was no denying it. They knew how it connects us with other people, how it connects us with our innermost self, and how it connects us with God. They knew scripture sometimes, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, how sometimes scripture within um, the musical setting is not always the true intention of scripture, but most of the time it is. And the third thing they knew, they knew the devices of music that can get us to buy into the idea of the music and to the idea of scripture. They knew how to organize the music in such a way that you'll never forget how it goes, right? We'll never forget Away in a Manger. We'll just always be able to sing. I think, you know, to my dying breath, I'll be able to sing Away in a Manger. It'll stick in there because of the way it was written. So Away in a Manger was composed by James R. Murray in 1887 to a text that was derived from the story of Jesus told to us in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. The story is clear. Jesus was born in a manger. There were animals around. It was not glorious by any means. There was no room in the inn. We know the story, right? And sometimes, even the text tries to make it a little more appealing than it was. Uh, One of the first lines in Away in a Manger is, no crying he makes. I think it's in the second verse, maybe. Um, No crying he makes. Well, a healthy baby usually does cry. And so theologians kind of debate, well, is it, is it alluding to the peacefulness of Jesus? Or is it, is it um, you know, actually, was it reality? Did he actually not cry? Um, so that's up for debate. It's probably a stretch, since I think Jesus was probably a healthy baby. Um, but text aside, what about the music? And, and let's start with, what is music? Like, what is music? This is something that we as music majors study constantly and probably will never have an answer for. What is music? 
For our purposes today, we will just say that music is highly organized sound across time. So it has a start, it has a finish, and in between, it's organized sound, okay? And that's a pretty reduced version of music, but I think that'll do for today. When we look at what music is and how these composers used it, sometimes we can find a deeper message or a more true or inherent message than maybe is just all of the hymn all at once, all the text, all the music. We can pick out certain things that composers went, this is important, this is important. Maybe not everything that filled it in the middle, but these certain spots, and that's what we're gonna do today. So the two things we're gonna be looking at are intervals and form. Now, to, uh, to understand form, we have to understand that composers create something. Let's say it's right here. It's a circle. They create something, and then they have the opportunity to either create that exact same thing again. So we'll label this A, circle A. So they could make another circle A, exact same thing. Or they could go circle A and then make a square B. So they can do what they did, or they can do different than what they did. And what that creates is some type of form that we can live inside of. What is the same? What is different? What is kind of like monotone? What is exciting? So they use this to kind of create a different form and emphasize certain things um, within it. The second thing is intervals. So if you turn to your hymnal on 217, to Away in a Manger, you'll see that sometimes the music moves just by one line or one space. We call that a step. It's just, it's the closest kind of, um, the closest kind of interval that we can have. We can step from this note down to this note, or step from this note up to this note. Pretty easy. It's, there's usually the easier ones to sing, or we can leap. I didn't plan that. Gonna... If I would have fallen, it would have been terribly embarrassing. Um, Chase, you've got to leap from the top all the way down to get the no, appropriate effect. that is when I'll fall. Um, <laughs> so we can go from one note and go all the way down to another note, right, in an instant, or one note all the way up to another note. Those are usually harder to sing, right? It's harder to hear all the way up there. Easier to sing da-da-da-da-da than da-da-da, way up there. So we have these intervals of steps and skips that composers will use, right? Sometimes they'll use them to just gently go somewhere. Or if they want to show something that's really exciting, they might skip up to it and show a lot of energy in a note. So if we look at the first stanza, you'll see that Away in a Manger is broken into four different stanzas. The first one, the contour of the notes look like this. <coughs> they start up high, and they slowly work themselves down by step. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Right? They, it could have just went, away, bed. Right? It could have skipped all the way there, but it used all of this time, stretching across time, and stepped down. Now, if we look at the text for that, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, it's really, it's really setting the context for us, right? Away in a manger. So we're somewhere in a manger, no crib for a bed. So we, kinda, we know kind of about where we are. We're away, right, generally away from somewhere. And we have a little bit of a setting. We have a manger, no crib. Okay, we don't know who yet. Well, we know who. But if you were to hand this to someone who didn't know, they wouldn't know who, right? They don't know who or why or how. They just know that there's a manger away somewhere. If you skip down to the third stanza, 
The stars in the sky look down where he lay. It's the exact same music. If we listen to it, it starts up here, and it slowly works itself step by step all the way down. So the first time, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. In the third stanza, the stars in the sky look down where he lay. We look and we see another contextual point. It's setting the context for us. So we're away. We have a manger. We don't know who yet. There's stars in the sky. And they're looking down on where he lays. We don't really know who he is. We don't really know where we are. We just know we're away somewhere. So that line, that contour, right? Stepwise motion not really excitedly, just moving down nice and slow, gentle, is setting a context for us. The composer in the first and third is just saying, this is just filler stuff. This is so you know what's going on. Let's look at the second stanza. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. If we listen, I want you to try to identify where the skip is in this. There's two skips, right? There's two of them. The first one's on the word what? Jesus. So right off the bat, the composer sets a context for us with nice, easy steps, nothing too exciting, contour just gently sitting down, and then goes, Jesus laid down. So we have this word, Jesus, emphasized. Interesting. Now we look at the next one, and we go, well, well Chase... There's another skip in there right after that. So is sweet head also important? And I would challenge you and say, no, it's not. Because when we're in this key, this is our home note. Okay? Bomb. That's our home note. The home note has two friends, like me. (laughs) (laughs) It has these two friends above it. Bomb, bomb, bomb. Okay? And so home, this home note is where every single piece of the music is going to come back to. It's going to come back to this chord in some way. The note right above it, bum, bum, which is part of the chord, it's a little, it's still home, right? It's within the home family, but it's not as stable. It's not, it, it's not the rock-solid foundation, right? And if we go to the top note, bum, still part of the home chord, but depending on its context, it can be really far away from home or just part of the home chord. So really... This note is the most important. Now, if we look at this music, we have the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. We have the middle note right there. Now, if the composer were to have written, uh, uh, let's say, a C, the top note, right, of the home chord, instead of the middle note, we could have this top note, and it wouldn't create a skip. Listen to how it would sound. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. No skip, right? So it's not interesting. But if you listen to the, the musical contour, it's kind of boring. No one wants to sing that. Composers know that. That's boring, right? So, okay, C is out of the way, A is out of the way, because A is the one they picked, and C is boring. So let's try F. If we were to rewrite the music as the composer of the time, and we were to put F in there, let's see how it would sound if we do that. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. Kind of sounds like it's done, right? Like we're at the end of the hymn.
we could just totally finish right there. But the composer's like, there's so much more story to tell. So they're not going to pick F. They're not going to pick C. They pick A. It's the only option within the home chord to have us go there. So if we look at the skip, we can go, well, yeah, it is a skip, but it's functional in nature. It's not an emphasis. It's a function. It's a device of music that they use. Interesting. So the only real emphasis that we have in the first line is Jesus. Now, if we keep going, if we keep going, we get all the way down to the fourth line, and we have this huge skip. So we have, down where he lay, the little Lord. Interesting. Now, the first skip on Jesus went up by five notes. Five. This next one goes up by seven. So we can, even, we can even make the point that maybe Jesus isn't the most emphasized part of the song. Maybe it was that Jesus was little. Maybe that's the more important part. Because we have it on the word little. So we have Jesus and little. Interesting. Now let's look at the other verses, see if it holds up in the court of this song. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. Fine, more context. We go to the next skip. But little Lord Jesus, same word, emphasize Jesus, obviously important. We go all the way back down to the bottom and stay by my, interesting. So we have Jesus is little, Jesus and stay. Jesus is little, Jesus is here to stay. Interesting, let's go to the third verse. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask you to stay close by me forever. Forever is emphasized. Okay, let's go to the bottom. And fit us for heaven, and fit, or some translations say, and take us to heaven, right? So the composer's emphasizing these six words. Jesus, first, little, really interesting, and then Jesus, and stay, and then forever to take us. Interesting. So when we're singing this hymn, and when we're getting into the Advent season, usually we, we think about the Advent season and these hymns as a story about Jesus. It's all about him, right? Wrong. It's not. And the composer's telling us that. It's not about just Jesus. It's not just that Jesus showed up one day and he's glamorous, he's amazing. It's all this, you know, this huge thing. No, 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 it's not, which is interesting. It's actually the how of Jesus, not just Jesus. It's actually the why of Jesus. Jesus, not only did Jesus just come, right? He didn't just like show up, but he showed up little. He came little, right? And then it's not even that, that you know, Jesus is just here, but he's here to stay. So why did he come? How did he come? He came little. Why did he come? He came to stay with us. And then we go to the third verse, forever to take us to heaven. Not just Jesus came. That's not where the story ends. Sometimes it's where it ends in our minds, right? Well, it's all about Jesus. It's the season of Jesus. So we, we think about Jesus and how, how amazing it is. But Jesus is hiding in the details. And he says, no, no, no. It's not about me. It's about how I came for you not just me. It's not about my glamorous birth, right? He didn't come riding in on a Pegasus. He didn't put like 13 suns around the earth and just light it up, right? He came as a small 
baby, as a child, vulnerable, tiny, little. And the composer is telling us this. They're going, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do this, but then I'm going to create interest on these words so that they subliminally stick in your head because you hear those skips as something different, something interesting, right? So these composers, they do it, they do it just to tell us that, listen, Yes, Jesus came, but the story doesn't end there. He came little. He came to stay. And then he came to take us to heaven. And this changes the way we sing. It changes the way we see the hymns. It changes the way we serve, the way we think about Advent season, and the way that we feel about Jesus. Much different. If only we listen and look. Amen. So one of the things